Well, good morning. Uh, starting a brand new series today uh, from the book of Job. Um, and Job is in the, the Old Testament. If you want to turn back there, go to Psalms, take a left. Um, it's right there. Um, in this series, I, I'm going to be honest. This series is one that I preached 10 years ago. Here on the stage, I was asking uh, at one of our Monday morning meetings that Seth and Todd and I have back in July, um, hey, you guys got any ideas of what I can preach coming up? And we'd like to stay a little bit ahead. In fact, this week I'm going to take off and go to Wisconsin and spend a week in a hotel room and try to plan out all of 2024 sermons. Uh, but Seth said, man, I've grown up in church. I've been in church all my life, and I've heard some sermons on Job, but I've never heard a series from the book of Job. And I'm like, yeah, I got one of those. I just did it just a couple years ago. Let me look at it. And look, it was 2013. So I'm like, hey, none of these guys remember that because I don't remember it. So, but another thing is like I had to make it considerably shorter because back then, like 10 years ago, I don't know how any of you are still here. Like I was preaching like 45 minutes. So I had to cut, like this is about half. I could make this a 12-week series, but it's only gonna be six uh, like it was then. Um, but I, I don't wanna go to Job chapter one to start. Actually, I wanna go to, to Job chapter 42. It's the last chapter in, in the book of Job. Um, and we're gonna work our way kind of backwards through this book. Again, if you're here, again, and if you've never read the book of Job, I encourage you to do that. You read a chapter or two a day for the next six weeks, uh, you'll finish up about the same time that, that we do. Like, even if you've never read it, though, or you've never been to church, you've heard people refer to, to Job, say, say something like he has the patience of Job. And as I was reading the, the book of Job again over the last couple of weeks preparing for this series, I got to Job chapter 42, and this verse just kind of stuck out to me. Like, I think most of the time we hear the book of Job preached, and this is what Seth was referring to, like most people, they, they preach the book of Job, they preach the first two chapters, and that's it. Like, they go through chapter one and chapter two, and, and that's the end. But there are 40 more chapters following chapter two. And in, 40, in chapter 42, verse 12, it says this. It says, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. Isn't that cool? Like, I read that, and I thought, I want that. Like, I want God to bless the, the second half of my life more than he has the first. And I think I'm, I'm already into that second half. I'm getting closer to the end. My wife had a birthday last week. She's even closer than I am. But... <laughs> But listen, like, I want God to bless me. I know there are some super Christians out there who are like, I'm not, I, I don't need God to bless me. Like, I'll take yours then. Like, give it to me. Like, I, I want it. Like, and, and what I want, I was also, I was thinking, like, I want it for all of you. Like, I want it for, for all of KCC. Like, I want God to bless you. And that's what we're gonna talk about through this in, entire series, really, from now until we, we jump into Christmas sermons in December, which I'll tell you right now, I hate, but we're gonna do that anyway. But I wanna call a timeout real quick because there are some people here watching online and you're already a bit skeptical of, of church and, and all of that thing. And now you think, man, he's gonna talk about blessings and when God's the blessing, he's gonna be selling prayer hankies and anointing oil here. Like, no, like I'm not, I promise. I'm not selling you anything. But in, in the course of these six weeks, I wanna walk you through some difficult sermons, so, some difficult things as we look at how we can position ourselves for God to bless us. 
Wanna look at the life of Job and, and, and see what God did for Job that, that I believe that he can do for us. But I wanna start with some questions. How many of you have ever been mad? Like, yeah, raise your hand. Some of you are liars. Like, how many of you have ever been mad enough to hit someone or something? Raise your hand. Wow. Like, man, like, we do that. We don't wanna hit someone, so we'll hit a wall. Like, and that's why, like, your hand is broke. Like, it always hurts us and never hurts the wall. So you, you've all been mad. How many of you have ever been confused? If you're a man and you're married, raise your hand up right now. Like, you have been confused. I remember shortly after we got married, like, I walked in, like, do we really need 14 throw pillows on the bed? Like, confusing. Like, I don't understand what they're all for. Like, we just take them off and throw them on the floor in the morning, like, before we go to sleep. How many of you have ever been just, just frustrated? All parents, raise your hands up. If you're a parent, like, your child has taken away, sometimes they've taken the ability away from you to complete a, a full sentence. Like, we've all been mad. We, we've all been confused. We've all been frustrated. Now, I'm going to ask you another question, and I don't want you to raise your hand because, again, some of you will lie. Have you ever been mad, confused, or frustrated with God? See, we don't talk about that in church, do we? No, like, church is a place we come to be fake. Like, we come to be fake and, and not real. But you're going to get a real talk uh, this morning. I mean, you always get real talk. I think that's why on Monday mornings I always have this like Monday morning regret. Like, I can't believe I said that. But there are people in this room today, and let's be honest, you're mad at God. People say you shouldn't get mad at God, but, but you're mad. Like, I've, I've been mad at God before. I've looked at the sky and said, man, God, this stinks. Like, I've said it. Some of you are like, I've never said anything like that. Yeah, but you thought it, and God knows your thoughts already. I've just said it. Some of you, you, you are frustrated with God. You ever looked at God, and let's be honest, go, come on. Like, come on, God, you're blessing that guy. I know what he did last week. Can't believe you're blessing him. We've been confused. Like, I, I know we've been confused with God. God tells us in Isaiah 55, he says, my ways are not your ways, or my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So there's gonna be confusion. He knows we're gonna be confused. And what we're told in church is that, man, we should never get mad. We should never express anger. We should never express frustration. We should never uh, express confusion. And in church world, we're made to feel small. So we just show up to church, be fake, and go home. Again, I don't think that's the way God set it up. I don't think that's the way he wants it. I'm gonna tell you the first step toward being blessed today, and here it is in case, in case you fall asleep or you have to leave early or, or whatever. I'm just gonna give you the whole sermon in a sentence, and it's this. Don't ever give up on the God that's never given up on you. Like, if you wanna be blessed, don't ever give up on the God that's never given up on you. And some of you would push back and say, well, well, well Josh, I think God's given up on me. And I would argue that he hasn't because you're still here. Like if God were done, you'd be dead. Paul talked about not giving up in Galatians chapter six, verse nine. He said this, he said, let us not grow weary in doing good or let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't ever give up on the God that's never given up on you. 
Now, I've got three points that I wanna cover uh, today that are gonna go along with that, and they're very simple. A very, very simple sermon. Like some of you walked in here today and, and you need this message. Others of you, you walked in here and you're in a good place. File this one away. Um, because if, if you're, you're not going through hell right now, hell's coming. And I'm not a pessimist. Like I've just been alive long enough to figure that out. And the first point is this, life is hard. Like life is hard. I've had people go, well my life is hard. Of course your life is hard. We live in a fallen world. Like you screaming my life is hard is like sitting on an airplane that's crashing and screaming the airplane's crashing. Yes it is. Life is hard. And listen, none of us in this room, like we, we plan for a hard life. Like there's nobody in this room that's ever scheduled a tragedy, have you? Like you got a phone call from God going, hey, we need to schedule a car wreck this week. You, you know, it, it's about time. How, how about Monday? Well, God, Monday's not looking so good. How about Tuesday at 4 p.m.? And the broken leg thing? They're like, no, we just need to, how, can we go with a finger? Like that never happens to us. We live in a fallen world. We don't see bad things coming, do we? They just happen. And if you go to Job chapter one and chapter two, and I'm not gonna read all of it to you, but, but I encourage you before you go to sleep tonight to just read chapters one and two of Job. It'll take like 10, 10 minutes. But it starts out in Job chapter one saying that Job was blameless and upright. Like those are two words that I am... I'm not sure I would ever use to describe myself. Like, I know me. But blameless and, and upright, the Bible says that Job, he was a godly man. The Bible says that Job loved his family. Like, he obviously had a decent relationship with his wife because it tells us they had 10 kids, seven sons and three daughters. Something was working. Like, he, he loved his children. The Bible says that his kids would go out and that they would uh, throw parties and have festivals. And then the next day, they said that Job would get up and offer sacrifices for each one of his kids just in case they sinned against God. So he loved his family. He led his family. He feared God. He was rich. And in this culture and in this society, by the way, most scholars believe that Job was actually the oldest book that was written in the Bible, that it wasn't Genesis, that Job was actually written before Genesis. And in that society, if you were rich, you were considered to be blessed by God. So keep in mind, Job's rich, he's got a decent marriage, he's got a great family, he loves God, all that's going on, and in the meantime, God and Satan are having a conversation in heaven. Again, one of the things that we need to understand about that is that there is always way more going on than we can see, way more going on than we, we understand. So God and Satan are having this conversation, and God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I just want to say, I love Jesus, and I want to serve him. Like, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not sure I ever want to get to the point where God's bragging on me. Like, because I, like, I saw what happened to Job. And God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? I don't, I don't, I don't know that I want God to ever say, have you considered my servant Josh? Like I, want to, like, I want to know where that line is, and I want to get right up to it, but I don't want to cross it. Anybody with me on that one? Or am I just on my own, like making stuff up? He said, have you considered my servant Job? 
He is blameless and upright. And Satan says, well, yeah, of course he's blameless and upright. You've blessed him. And you know what? It's dangerous about Satan, right? Is that he's telling the truth. When he says you've blessed him, he knows that mankind, he knows any fool, God, any fool will follow you if you bless him. Anyone can come in and raise their hands during worship when life is great. So Satan says it's because you've blessed him. You take away his blessing and he will curse you. So God tells Satan, go ahead. Take away his blessing. Just a side note. Satan had to get permission from God to act. Make no mistake about it, God has no equal. It's not God and Satan in heaven locked in this cosmic battle wondering who's gonna win. Listen, God owns Satan. Like, he will not lose. And Satan cannot do a thing unless it passes through the hands of God. Like, we have to always remember that. And the next thing that happens is that Job has the day from hell. Listen, in one day, he lost all of his material possessions, like everything he owned. The stock market dropped, all of his investments were gone, and then that same day, a natural disaster took place, and he lost all 10 of his children. All 10 of them were killed. Now, I can't imagine that pain. Like, I remember when, when Jayla had ear tubes put in for the first time. Like, I, was, I couldn't even be back there. I can't imagine losing my kid, much less all of them. But at the end of Job chapter one, Job says this. Naked I came into this world, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And it doesn't end there. Because God and Satan are having another conversation. And if I'm Job, I'm like, you all need to quit talking. Just stop it now. God goes, if you consider my servant Job, he's blameless and, and upright. You took everything away from him, and yet he's still following me. Satan goes, well, here's the deal. He's healthy. You take away his health, and he'll curse you. God says, okay. You can do anything you want, but, but you cannot kill him. So Satan leaves the presence of God. The next thing that we know is Job goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, we have bad news. You have every disease known to man. Like Job was so bad physically that in, in chapters two and three, his friends show up to visit him. And we'll see later on that they weren't really friends. Um, but they show up. Like, and I don't know if you've ever seen someone like I have. And they were so bad off that you couldn't even speak. Like Job was so bad that his friends couldn't even talk for seven days. They just sat down for seven days and didn't speak. It got so bad that Job's wife goes, hey, would you just curse God and die? Now, I've been pretty hard on Job's wife in, in the past. Like, said things like, man, why didn't, why did God, God kill all the animals and let her live? Like, he should have killed her and left him a dog or something. Like, I don't know. But I learned something when reading this over again. Because I think we need to be fair to his wife. Like she lost all 10 of her children. She's watching her husband go bankrupt. She's watching him suffer horribly. 
And at the end of it all, she's not gonna have anyone to do life with or to take care of her. Life's hard. Now, at this point, this is where most preachers go, Job had a hard life. Nobody in here had a life like Job, so you just need to have some faith and get over it, deal with it. Let's pray. No. But we're not going there. Because here's what I know. The pain that you are going through is real pain. And I'm not going to be the guy that tries to outpain your pain. Like, have you ever met that guy? That no matter how bad your story is, they always have a story that's worse than yours. Like, I can't define pain for you, but you don't need me to define your pain. You already know what hurts. And I think Job experienced five kinds of pain that that I believe every one of us are are dealing with one of these or have dealt with or will deal, deal with. And the first one's emotional pain. Can you imagine the emotional pain associated with losing 10 kids and thinking that you're a complete failure because you've lost everything? Like, I can't even imagine that. Let's put it on our level. There are people in this room or watching online that have felt or are feeling emotional pain. There's been sexual abuse somewhere in your past. And you know what? That hurts. I've talked to women who have had miscarriages. That hurts. And I'm not gonna stand on this stage and just tell you to get over it. I'm gonna stand on this stage and tell you that your pain is real. Emotional pain is very real. Because life is hard. Financial pain, people here, you've lost jobs, you've got injured, had major setbacks because of the economy or an illness. And listen, especially for men, financial pain is very real. It hurts. Relational pain, Job and his wife and the tension in their marriage. There are people here today and you and your marriage, like you just want to give up. Let me tell you something. Every married couple has been there where where one looks at the other and thinks, man, what in the world was I thinking? I know couples who have literally gone to the point where they've said, you know what? Uh, I, I know I've taken a vow. I know I've made this commitment, but I'm gonna walk away. I can't take this anymore. Let me tell you something, that's real. That hurts. Physical pain, Job experienced physical pain, and nobody likes that. I can't tell you the number of of people I've talked to in my ministry that they've they went to the doctor and they thought they were perfectly healthy. And the doctor tells the, the woman they've discovered a lump in your breast. That's real. That smacks you in the face. Or the guy found out hey, there's something wrong with, with your colon, we think it's cancer. Let's be honest. Pain, anger, confusion, frustration. The last type of pain is spiritual pain. Like there was a false idea back in this culture and in this time, time frame that actually still exists uh, today. And here it is, is God does good things to, to good people and bad things to bad people. If you're good and you dot all the I's and you cross all the T's, God will bless you. And if you're bad, God will make your tire go flat and your kids go crazy and your marriage fall apart. So good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. It's an idea in Hinduism that's called karma. And unfortunately, we've brought that into the church 
So we look at people that go through bad times or we look at ourselves when we go through bad times and we think, man, God must hate me because good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. I must be a bad person. Listen, the only two problems with that idea are Jesus and the Bible. Job wasn't doing anything wrong. In fact, he was doing everything right. He was blameless and upright. But he experienced confusion and he experienced anger and he experienced frustration. You know why? Because life is hard. In fact, one of the promises that Jesus made his, his disciples before he, uh, before he was crucified, he said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. Which leads me to point number two is that God is still God. God is still God. No matter what you're going through, no matter how good life gets, no matter how bad life gets, God is still God. And by the way, God is still good. One of the things we've got to understand, and, and I've been drilling this down for years in my own life and, and as I preach, is that this, my circumstances do not alter his character. Like he is still God and he is still good. It just depends on how, how you and I are gonna choose to view life. Is he God or is he not? Because we all view life differently. And you've heard me say this before. Like are we going to allow our circumstances to determine our theology or are we gonna allow our, our theology to determine our circumstances? Because the person that allows their theology to determine their circumstances is the person who walks in joy and the person that is blessed. That's when I was reading through the book of Job, and I got to chapter 19, I found the, what I think is the catalyst verse. In Job 19, I got to these verses, and I was like, like I've heard these taught wrong so, so many times. So many preachers will say Job was righteous and he was blameless because he never questioned or doubted God. Like that's because they stopped reading at Job chapter two. You start reading in Job chapter three, and you read through Job chapter 37, like Job had some real problems with God. In fact, Job actually said, God, if you would show up and come down here, I could straighten you out. Job chapter 38, God did show up, and God told Job, and I love this, we're gonna have some shirts made for this for me. God showed up and told Job, he said, hey, brace yourself like a man. Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you. See, Job had frustration. Job had doubts. Job had real, real questions. He was angry. I mean, we've been told that people of faith don't have doubts. They don't have questions. They don't, they don't have frustration. Reality is, though, when you read the Bible, the people that God often uses the most have the greatest doubt, the greatest frustration, and the greatest questions. And Job had those. But in Job chapter 19, verse 25, after he went all through that, he said this. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Hold on, Job. You lost all your children. You lost your, your fortune. You're losing your health. You're going to die. And Job's going, yeah, but man, he's alive. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. I know that he lives. And he says, at the end, he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, he's got boils all over his body. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. 
I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job said, I don't understand. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I'm doubting. I'm angry. But here's one thing that I know is that one day I will see him and everything that is wrong will be made right. I know that he is living and because of that I have hope. Let me tell you something. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked out of a tomb. And as long as the tomb is empty, you and I, if we are in Christ, we have hope no matter what happens in our life. Because our hope is not based on our circumstances. Our hope is based on the fact that God is God and God is good and the tomb is empty and that no matter what happens, we can walk in victory. How do you think Job felt? Like, how do you think Job felt at the end of chapter two? At the end of Job chapter two, he's like, I mean, this is horrible. This is awful. I don't like this. Job's wrestling. He probably thought that chapter two was the end of his life. And you know why we can, we can stand back and, and look at the book of Job and have comfort and we can learn something for it? Because while we read Job chapter two, we know what Job chapter 42 says. We know how the story ends. In Job chapter two, Job didn't know how the story ended. He was in the middle of it. And I'm telling you today, and I believe this with all my heart, that if you belong to Jesus and you are going through a tough time and you feel completely overwhelmed, you're in chapter two. Chapter 42 is coming, so hold on. Because when you're in chapter two, like you want to get frustrated, you want to give up, you want to walk away, you want to throw in the towel. But we have a God that's in chapter two and in chapter 42. And the Bible says he blessed the latter part of Job's life more than he did the former. And some people will push back and say, I don't see how God is, he could use any of my circumstances for good. You know what? Some of you could tell me your story and I couldn't see it either. But here's what I do know. He turned a bloodstained cross into an empty tomb. And anybody that can turn a bloodstained cross into an empty tomb, like I'm believing that he can turn my crucifixion into a resurrection. Friday night, my Friday may be here, but Sunday's on the way. Everybody wants resurrection, but nobody wants to experience crucifixion. So don't give up. Sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? If you want to be blessed, don't give up. You know, if you're, you're a parent, you'll get this. Like raising kids can be one of the most rewarding and, and most frustrating things in your life. Like have you ever noticed that, that there are things about your kids that absolutely drive you crazy? Like they, they drive you mad. But also the things that, about your kids that drive you crazy are the things that remind you of you, that you see in them. I think one of the most frustrating things in the world is to see your kid give up on something that you know they can do. You know they can do the math problem. You know they can do the, that project. You know they can overcome that situation. And you watch them and they quit. Doesn't it break your heart to see your kids quit when you know they're capable of so much more? And if that's how we feel about our children... How does our heavenly father feel when we give up? He's like, don't do it. I'm frustrated. 
Yeah, you're frustrated. Things didn't turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out. Well, I'm mad. Yes, you're mad. You're mad because you're in chapter 2, and 42 is a long way off. God, I'm confused. Of course you're confused because my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. God's saying, listen, you've got to trust me. Don't give up. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are, or we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He says this, for our light and momentary troubles. Listen, everybody in here, everybody watching online, every trouble that you are going through is light and momentary. So Josh, you can't say that about my situation. Yeah, I can. Because it's not me, it's what God said in his word. Everything that I've ever gone through in my life, as I look back, is light and momentary. The Bible says our lives are like a, a mist or a vapor. It's like dew that appears in the morning and, and then it's gone. Josh, you don't know my situation. But I know the guy who wrote that. Was the Apostle Paul, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was on the run, he was left for dead. He eventually would have his head chopped off because he followed Jesus. And he said, listen, the troubles are light and momentary. And he said, this is what we do. He says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but on what is unseen, well, what is unseen is eternal. The key when we're going through tough times is not to fix our eyes on our circumstances, not to fix our eyes on our problem, but to fix our eyes on Jesus. And not even to ask God, hey God, what do you wanna teach me through this? But to ask God, hey, show me who you are through this. Because when we understand who he is, it makes our circumstances pale in comparison to knowing Christ. The Bible says that, that God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. I want that for me, I want that for you. We're gonna talk about that from now till December. But the first step is this, is don't ever give up on the God who's never given up on you. I'm gonna ask you to stand and we'll pray and we're gonna sing. Father God, today, we come to you knowing that, that many, many in this room, many watching online are in chapter two, where life doesn't make any sense, where the pain is, is very real. And there are many that just wanna give up. God, my prayer today for, for everyone that can hear my voice is that they would never give up on the God that's never given up on them. And Lord, I pray that you would bless their lives more than you ever have in the past. We thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have through him. It's in his name that I pray, amen.